0: Our scripture lesson came from Luke's Gospel, the 18th chapter, and the 9th through the 14th verse. And it read as thus. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Very familiar parable. And in the light of some of the current events that are taking place right now in our society, and particularly as it relates to our political landscape, I want to talk today about humility. Humility, I find, uh, is a word that many people throw around without necessarily grasping the full concept of what it means to be humble. To help me make the case as we dive into this text, I'd like to start off by telling you a story. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood. The next morning while they were eating breakfast, the the young wife saw her neighbor hanging her wash out to dry. That laundry is not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps. She needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on, but remained silent. Every time her neighbor hung her wash to dry, the young woman repeated her observations about the dirty laundry from her neighbor. She doesn't know how to wash. Maybe she needs better detergent. About a month later, The woman was surprised to see nice, clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she has finally learned how to wash clothes correctly. I wonder who taught her this. The husband said, dear, I got up early this morning and I cleaned our windows. The story takes us to a place of recognizing that sometimes when we are critical of other people, we fail to realize that the problem is not with them, but really with us. And so as we get ready to go into this text, We see two people who are coming to pray with very, very different motives. And so in the context of the text and the story I've just shared, I want to speak from the subject, the sinner's prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you are all aware, probably all aware by now, if you're like me that pay attention to the news and things of that nature, you all know that the House of Representatives right now in the United States, largely led by the Democrats, have been embroiled in an investigative inquiry seeking to determine facts surrounding the possible abuse of power related to a conversation between United States President Donald Trump and Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you need to just watch the news. The inquiry is based on several, hear me clearly, several credible accounts, including an admission by the president himself and his embattled acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, that they refused to provide aid to the Ukraine unless their president made a public statement of their intent to investigate President Trump's rival, Joe Biden. If true, this would be illegal under the United States constitutional laws as it would be considered a term in in, in Latin, a quid pro quo. Now, if you're not familiar with a quid pro quo and what it means, this is simply an advantage granted or expected from someone in return for them doing something for you. A quid pro quo is an offense that rises to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors, which could lead to the impeachment and ultimate removal of Donald Trump from office. My reason for sharing this is not only that this is a very serious matter, but similar to cases in the past that involved impeachment where presidents were facing that prospect, those presidents took it so seriously that they went and formed teams of lawyers and constitutional experts to help them build a defense against this congressional act. They took it so seriously that they needed to put together a team of people to make sure that whatever this president they were going to be facing, that they had an opportunity to mount a really strong defense. Last Friday, President Trump dismissed the need for such a team to defend him against the House's impeachment inquiry. And he states, and I quote, here's the thing. I don't have teams. Everyone's talking about teams. I'm the team. In other settings, he has been recorded talking about his grand and unmatched wisdom. He knows more than the generals. He knows more about the environment than scientists. He, his IQ is the best of any person that has ever lived. These are not my words. As a matter of fact, he, 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 he says, he, he was asked a question. This is my personal favorite. He was asked a question. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? To which he responded, I'm not sure I have. (laughs) I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. I think if I do something wrong, I think, I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. These are not my words. The point in all of this is not to criticize and to make a public spectacle of Donald Trump, if that were possible, but instead to bring attention to the kind of mindset that, quite frankly, permeates all of our Western society and culture. It is a mindset that seeks to give the impression that you and I, that we have the capacity to determine for ourselves what is moral and acceptable behavior as determined by a set of standards that are always working in favor of our own selves and in our own best interest. In other words, many of us, if not all of us, are quietly and silently playing by rules that tend to make us judge, jury, and executioner of all things and all behaviors that make us look good and others bad. It is a sad case of us looking at other people through dirty windows. This, my brothers and my sisters, is classic hypocrisy. And we really don't need to look at Donald Trump to find it, when we can simply turn our gaze up and down any given pew in any given church. The idea of hypocrisy is not new in our society. In fact, this has been the norm for many generations of people who have risen to various levels in various societies and believe that they have earned the right to be arbiters of morality. Now, the dictionary defines hypocrisy as such. It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. In other words, it's saying one thing and expecting other people to do others. Now, while you need to understand, I've always been exposed to hypocrisy. I actually recall once in my youth when I was a young man, I I challenged my father on something that I saw him doing that he had told me and my siblings that we could not do. Now, I can't remember to this day what it was that, I, that he was doing, but I just remember the conversation. And when I challenged my father upon this, I remember him saying to me, you know, don't do what I do, do what I say. That's what he said. Yes, Textbook hypocrisy. And Jesus has a few things that he would like us to know about it. So let's turn again to Jesus' words and, and, and see what it says in the 18th chapter. He says, and he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. In other words, Jesus was talking to a whole bunch of people who were looking at other people's laundry through their dirty window. Now, now now, these people, I want you to understand who these people were that Jesus is talking to. These were the people that believed that they were the most important. They were the ones that were most intelligent. They went to college, and they went to all of these fancy places, and, and, and they have the highest IQ. You, you know where I'm going. These are the people who say they could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. You you know where I'm going. But let's not make it so far down the street for, for other people. It, it, it's the ones who are in the church, the chosen ones, the ones who everyone else outside the church is going to hell, but we are the good ones inside. We're the ones going to heaven. Those folks are the ones Jesus is talking to. He's talking to you and to me, the ones who feel that because we're in this place that we are better than other people. I'm just simply saying know who Jesus is talking to. So Jesus tells us parable. He says two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So he's making a clear distinction here between these two people. He says the Pharisee stood up and was praying this to himself. God, I just thank you, oh God that I am not like other people. Oh God, I am just the greatest thing you have invented since sliced bread. Thank you, oh God, that my windows are clean. Thank you, oh God, that I wear the right clothes. Thank you, oh God, that I got the right shoes. I'm in the right church. I know the right people. I got the the best whatever. Oh, thank you, oh God. I'm not like swindlers and the unjust, adulterers, or even like those people out on the street. Oh, thank you, oh God. I fast twice a week, oh God. Oh God, I pay my tithe. I do my do God I don't miss a meeting God I am a missionary of missionaries a pastor of pastors oh God you just don't know how wonderful it was that you created me oh God that's the prayer of that those Pharisees I'm telling you and I'm telling you I'm doing this for effect but what I'm trying to say to you is we get to the place sometimes where we say to God, God, you don't know what you've got in me. When you gave me the victory, it was the best thing you could have done in all creation. Who do you think you are? But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus' response then is telling. He says, I tell you this, this man went to his house, justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let me be clear. On the surface, the parable is very simple to understand. It makes a very clear distinction between someone who the Bible calls a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a rabbi. The Pharisee could very well be your university professor. It could be a pastor, a bishop. It could be a president. It could be a mayor of a city. It's someone who has made some kind of accomplishment in their lives. Someone who has done some things. The one who believes that he is faithful in keeping God's commandments. Be careful now. These are the people who, because they may be thinking that they are so good, that the blessings in their life come because they're that good. They held to the tenet of their faith. And uh, they, are, they, are, they are worthy of God's mercy and God's blessing. God, you're not doing me a favor, God. I'm doing you a favor, God. A person, by virtue of their profession now, is the tax collector. And this tax collector cries out to God in acknowledgement for his wretched condition. Viewing the parable from this perspective, it is easy to say that the Pharisee is a high-minded person and the tax collector is a humble person. Therefore, God is going to condemn the Pharisee and raise up the tax collector. Listen, that is a wonderful way to interpret the parable. And this is what I believe most people see in this parable. But I will tell you, they're not wrong. You're not wrong for thinking this way. However, the analysis and why Jesus told this parable goes a lot deeper than the surface interpretation that i just gave you jesus is illustrating something far more deeper than you know here are a few things we want to observe before i take my seat the bit, the text begins by saying two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and one a tax collector the first thing we need to notice church is that what both men went to the temple to pray That's important because when you consider that the Bible tells us that those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, as far as we're concerned, both of these men, irrespective of what you think about them, both believe in God and have some measure of faith. Both believe in God and have some measure of faith. The issue then becomes, how, how, how are we to understand faith in terms of our relationship with God? And this is where I believe both men part company. Let's continue. The text tells us that the Pharisee, in verse 11, stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pray tithes of all that I get. Now, I did a really, really some kind of job making this Pharisee look really bad, don't I? But let's be clear. Before we condemn this Pharisee, is this not exactly what we're asking people to do in our churches? Think about what I'm saying. Am I not challenging every one of you here as Christians to abstain from lifestyle that is unbecoming of the gospel? Am I I not always preaching and teaching messages, asking you to be honest and truthful and just in your relationships? I'm asking you to do all of these things as the pastor of this church. Am I not standing here Sunday after Sunday imploring you to give more in support of the work of this ministry, to tithe and to give? I'm asking you to do all of these wonderful things. Do I not say to you things from this pulpit that faith without works is dead and that obedience is better then sacrifice. I say these things Sunday after Sunday from this pulpit. Then the question becomes, what is so wrong with this Pharisee? A person of faith who himself believes in God and is doing all that the Torah and all that God and all that the pastor has asked him to do. He's doing the very things that God has asked him to do. So what is so wrong? What then, pastor, do we expect of the people after we've told you all what we want you to do and you have decided to obey? What does this mean? What are we to expect from people? Well, I don't know if you're following me clearly, but it would seem to me that this Pharisee is doing everything that God and the church has asked him to do. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. The problem here then is deeper than what he's doing. Here's what I mean. The problem is that his faith was based on his own ability. Look carefully. The text said the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. The problem with the prayer is found in four little words. That I am not. Do you see it? That's the problem. That's his big error. He says, God, I thank you that I am not. Let me stay right there for a minute, because I want you to see it. God, I thank you that I am not. Those four little words, those four little words is the problem. For the truth is, despite All of his obedience and faithfulness despite his commitment and sacrifices despite his tithing and giving to the church van campaign despite his donation of time and energy to the missionary work of the church the fact is he was just like any other person he was just like the swindler on the street he was just like an unjust Person, He was just like an adulterer in Palestine. He was just like any thief, widow, homeless, beggar, real estate mogul, prostitute, convict, police officer, slave master, liar, politician, democrat, or even republican. In other words, he was just like the tax collector. His main problem was not that he was an obedient servant of God. His main problem was that he did not see himself. And this is why he's guilty of hypocrisy. He was claiming to have moral standards to which his own behavior does not conform. And people who are prone to hypocrisy, hear me church, have a hard time seeing themselves. Which is why this is a very, very sad time for this particular Pharisee because here's the truth and I want you to hold on to this carefully if you don't remember anything else in this message remember this truth the person who cannot believe that God loves and forgives them will always turn to self-righteous behavior people who are depending on on the things that they do to show you how good they are, how they tithe and how they are, 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 are always doing what is asked of them, are people who have a hard time, hear me church, in your spirits, have a hard time really believing that God loves them and that God has forgiven them. Only faith, a faith that lets us see God frees us to discover who we really are. So, <laughs> like Trump and some of us, this Pharisee could not see himself. So, it makes sense that he would not like the tax collector. When you cannot see your own flaws, it becomes very easy to see the flaws. In others this is expressly why Jesus said why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye context notwithstanding the sentiment is that unless you're able to recognize your own limitations then you are really in no position to criticize anyone else even I as a pastor As much as I've been given spiritual authority over who God has brought into this assembly, who God wants me to to, to be his, his emissary in feeding his people, I am not your judge. I can tell you what I think. I can tell you what I believe. I can even give you advice, but make no mistake about it. I will only do these things after I have first consulted with the Lord. My wife, I'm sure many of you have heard her say to you that whenever you ask her husband, whenever you ask the pastor, me, for anything, if I take a long time to respond, it's not because I don't care and she doesn't want you to be offended. It's just that I haven't heard what God has to say yet. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount upon wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. The reason I'm quoting that to you is because unless I get the discipline of waiting for what God has to tell me on your behalf, and if I try to do it on my own, you will burn me out. The church people will burn me out. So I do not do this in my own strength. Yes, I care. Yes, I love you. Yes, I want to do everything that God has given to me to give to you when you are dealing with challenges in your families or bereavements or whatever it is. I want to do what God has called me to do, but not until he says so. So I wait on the Lord. For then he will renew my strength. Finally. But that's the Pharisee. So we recognize that he can't see himself and so he hides behind his self-righteousness. I know you know these people. You see them all the time. When you see people so busy sometimes, they're hiding behind a fear and a concern that they have that they may not be articulating to you. Self-righteousness doesn't mean they're bad people, it just means that they're in pain. And if they're humble enough to allow God to work through that pain, they will actually be delivered. But sometimes we hold on to pain, why? Because pain is familiar, pain is comfortable, pain feels good, it's the no, it's the devil that I know. It's the one that I don't know that I struggle with. And so therefore I'll hide behind self-righteousness. Look at how good a Christian I am. I am not like, uh, listen, I am not like other pastors. My church is on point. We got it going on. We just wanna make sure that everyone who comes here knows that we got it all together. All together. And we put on a good front. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, we're suffering. This is the reason why I say to you all the time, church, yeah, we've got our own financial challenges. I bring it out on the table. Whatever we need, I bring it out on the table. God's going to provide. Listen, this church couldn't do anything that we're doing right now if God were not in it. Sometimes you got to wait on the Lord. But enough about the Pharisee, let's look at the tax collector. Can we go on somewhere with this text very quickly? So the, 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 the text tells us now that after the Pharisee is showing everybody how wonderful he is, actually how he's showing God how wonderful he is, the tax collector now standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, oh God, dear God, be merciful to me, oh God, a sinner. Father God, in the name of Jesus... Oh, God, if you find it in your heart, just look favorably upon me just this one time. Turn your face towards me, Lord. Do not turn against me, Lord. Do not count my transgressions. Ag- God, just this one time, Lord, just remember me. Lord, when, when, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. That's, the, that's, the, that's where this, 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 this tax collector is, and it is clear that unlike the Pharisees, This tax collector's faith was really not based on his own ability to keep God's laws and God's commandments, but was instead based on one, a recognition of his own unworthiness. And secondly, his understanding of God's willingness, willingness to be merciful to him. The tax collector was demonstrating total dependence on God, which will always be the foundation for humility. The moment you think that you can do things on your own and in your own strength, you have moved out of the world of the tax collector and into the world of the Pharisee. But, Pastor, you said that there's something important in the text that we need to see because you were saying that Jesus is going a little deeper than just the surface stuff. And so far, it seems like it's all surface stuff. Well, I agree. So here's where we're going to go. Here's what we can glean from this text. It compares two people with two very different hearts. The Pharisee's heart was a condition that was based on his own self-righteousness and the exaltation of himself. While the tax collector's heart was a condition based on his own awareness of his inability to do anything for God and thereby depending totally on God's mercy. But there is something else that I want you to see in the text that I don't want us to miss. In verse 11, here's what it says. In verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. That's what it said. Then look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, uh, both men, recall, I said, went to the temple to do what? Both men went to the temple to pray. But notice carefully, the Pharisee stood praying in the temple while the tax collector stood some distance away. Their posture in the temple points to the spirit of entitlement that the Pharisee had. You see, what I want you to see, brothers and sisters, in fact, the tax collector didn't even feel worthy enough to go into the presence of God. He, 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 he's, he's like, listen, read the text. It said, it said that, guess what? He, he wasn't even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven. What a tragedy when you think you've got it all like that That you can just walk into God's temple and stand because you have earned the right to be there. Listen, let me be very clear. As Christians, no matter how educated you are or how skilled you are or even how long you've been in the church, all of us. Our righteousness is as but filthy rags, and there is none that is righteous, not even one of us, which includes me and you, no matter how fancy my robe. Unless the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness, is applied to our sinful souls, we will forever be stuck in a place that is never good enough. Jesus's illustration in this parable forces our attention in prayer to take it off of us and ourselves and to instead point to the God of heaven, the only one who can lift us up out of the miry clay. This, in essence, is the sinner's prayer and precisely why Sunday after Sunday, we invite people who do not know the Lord to come with a contrite, broken and confessional hearts after allowing God to show you who you are. This is the sinner's prayer. And the truth of the matter is all of our prayers should sound something like this. Lord Jesus Christ, do everything you need to do in me so that you can do everything you want to do through me. This is where our hearts need to be, and it is a starting point. Of total surrender. I don't know what you're hearing, but what I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, be very, very careful when you get to the place where you think that God owes you something. God owes you nothing. And it is our privilege to be able to come Sunday after Sunday into God's house. But don't walk into God's house thinking that you deserve the best seats or the best places of honor. Come to God's house recognizing that if it had not been for the Lord God on my side, where would I be? I am a sinner in need of a savior. God, I thank you, Lord, that you had mercy upon me. You did for me what I could not do. For myself, you have looked upon me. You found me at the bottom of the well. And you did not count it against me. You died for me. And therefore, I am eternally grateful. So therefore, oh God. Like that tax collector. Have mercy upon me, the sinner. This is now why Jesus turns and says, I tell you the truth. This man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. These are not just nice, good words from the master teacher. I want you to hear these words as a warning from God. I don't want you to read these words and go, oh, he's going to humble people. Trust me, my brothers and my sisters, you don't want God to humble you. Humble yourself before a holy God. Because many times we see the afflictions upon other people and we say, how could God allow such a thing? Trust me, it's because they had not chosen to humble themselves, but God instead has humbled them. Make your calling and election sure. Find that place where you come to God with all humility of spirit. If God asks you to do something, you do it. If God says don't do something, don't do it. Stay in that place of humility, recognizing that if you do not humble yourself willingly, then my brothers and my sisters, you are to be fearful of when God decides to humble you. And I have too much fear and reverence for God to allow him to humble me. So again, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So the question I have as we are in this church, which one are you? Because you are one of them. Which one are you? Are you the one who comes here thinking that because you've given your heart to the Lord and you've got all these blessings of God, that the church is lucky to have you here? We should be so grateful that you still keep your membership in this church. Is that you? Well, that may be. That may be. But I'm telling you, if that sounds like you then you're not going home justified. But are you the tax collector? The person who comes in here knowing that while you may be doing an, a, a job, cuz that's another level of the story, while you may be doing a job that you know you don't even really feel your heart is in but you got to make a living and you're carrying some amount of guilt for it and you are remorseful? So you come to church because you just really want to let God know that you're just grateful. Grateful that he's given you at least the opportunity to pray. Grateful that he's just given you the opportunity to make ends meet. Maybe you're not paying the bills the way you like to, but at least you have something. Maybe you're grateful to God that, you know, your health might be failing, but you're trying to hold on because there's still some things in your life that you want to accomplish and you need god to sort of just be merciful and give you a little more time maybe you're here and your children are in places that you just really would rather than not be I'm, I'm speaking for myself and you just hope god that somehow intervenes and 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 just try to let them see what you see and, and you're really hanging on to god knowing that the fault is sometimes their own, but, but God, I just need you to, to help us out this one more time. Maybe that's where you are. Well, I'm telling you, if that's where you are, you are in a good place because God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we can keep trying to do things on our own. We can still try to, but listen, the more you put your hands in the pot, is the less likely that God's gonna put his in it. Either he's God or he's not. So I'm telling you, as the pastor of this church, as someone who really genuinely cares to see every single person find God in a way that I may have found God for myself, but that you have an encounter with God for yourself. My heart's desire is that you get to know God, not just in the pardoning of your sins, but in the benevolence of his offerings, that everything that you have is just because of God's mercy and not anything that you have done on your own. If you get to the place where you are grateful for the food on your table, grateful for the few people in your life, even the ones that sometimes cause you a hard time. Grateful for 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 how you have made mistakes in your life, but somehow God did not let